brings you? Well, competition. Your secret is safe with me. That's the great thing about sports. Yeah, I wanted to see what your face looked like when I said no. Oh, no! No! You play to win. Minnesota bench hoping to get this winning run across here in the tenth. It's carried by Inglat in the third. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Base it loaded, one out. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. They call me the freak, man. I'm gonna call you the freak because I'm a freak of nature. You gonna see today? Just keep your eyes glued to the TV. The fielders are sort of halfway at second short. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I'm doing it really, really well. Get some facts and come back and see. The deep left center from Mitchell, and we'll see you tomorrow. It's illegal in nine countries. Brooksy, if I want to explain it to you, I would. The Twins are going to win the World Series. The Twins have won it. It's a base hit. It's a one You're killing it. Would it be great to have this be what happened? We're waking up in real life to the twins winning something. Alas, here you are on the Cedar Skier podcast. Thanks for joining us. To even it out, I'm going to tell you all of my secrets. Uh, I think we got a great show for you today. We've been uh, researching for doing a lot of prep. That's embarrassing. Looking and finding all the important sports stories that you need to know about, and we'll do that every day. That's why this is going to be the only sports show you'll ever have to listen to from here on out. Right, uh, we'll cover the things that matter in a way that is meaningful. Um, Ralph, how long did it take you to put together that um, the intro? Well, oh, I don't know, maybe like five minutes. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, anyway, one thing though, Ralph, I absolutely appreciate is coming off this Twins loss. You know, you played highlights of us winning the World Series in 1991, so that's great. You know, um, I don't know if you guys caught our last Facebook Live video where we had a quick we had a live video sports show and we broke down why, scientifically speaking, it is miserable and heartbreaking to be a Minnesota sports fan. And in my lifetime, specifically in the last 30 years, we we broke down the numbers. It was just absolutely astonishing. Maybe if we have time, we can go back and um, look at that again, because it's just it's crazy. It, we've had I do remember 59 playoff wins total. Uh, 59 playoff wins total in the last 30 years. Now, that's not counting um, when I was four months old. So that's my lifetime, basically. Four months old, we won the World Series. That, that was the highlight we just heard. That's not counting that. Um, but since then, we've had 59 playoff wins. That's not series. That's wins. So, like, even the Timberwolves have contributed 17 of those. The T-Wolves have won 17 games. The Wild have won 28 games in that time. The Twins have won six games in the last 30 years in the playoffs. And, of course, we have this 18-game losing streak that's just unbelievable. Um, and then in the Vikings, they, they've, they've filled in the gaps there. They have won a few meaningful playoff games and, and, you know, caused some excitement. But in the last 30 years, we've only had seven occasions where a Minnesota team has been in a uh, game or series to get into the big game, to get into the championship. So that's the Western Conference Finals to get into the NBA Finals. That happened once. Uh, Western Conference Finals, NHL, to get into the Stanley Cup, hap- uh, Cup happened once. That was both 2000, 2004 for the Wolves, 2003 for the Wild. Um, so once for each of those teams, once for the Twins, ALCS, to get into the World Series, 2002, 
we got destroyed by the Angels. Um, I remember being so upset about that. The Fargo Forum kept talking about Darren Erstead and this Jamestown native, and, oh, yeah, he's on the Angels team. They ended up winning the World Series in a really great World Series, but it was awful to have our, our twins miss that. So those were the three times for those. And then, of course, we have four times where the Vikings have played in the NFC title game to get into the Super Bowl. Okay, so... Seven total times, seven losses. I've never seen my team play in a championship game even, much less win or lose. We've never even seen them play in it. Um, so anyway, we get to some of those numbers. I will say here before we go to our next topic, uh, kind of want to start a new thing for uh, listeners that if you would like to get a shout out on the show, we've got some subscribers uh, now to our, uh, our show and our blog, cedarskier.com. And of course, you can go to that and become a subscriber. And if you are, we're gonna we're gonna periodically shout out our subscribers. So we're gonna give them a a, a little. Here's who they are. Here's what makes them special, kind of thing. And of course, if they want to add anything to that, like, hey, when when it's my turn to get a shout out, can you please say this? You know, we will we will quote you. We will give you credit. It'll be like your little five second moment of fame um, on the airwaves. By the way, these podcasts are being posted to anchor now so that's an easy way to download it i guess you can download it off of wordpress too i'm not sure if i'm going to put it on there but anchor is going to be a good easy way so um there's my little uh shout out warning to you if you're a subscriber right now uh send me a message or comment on something and say this is what i want people to see or hear on the next show okay and of course on anchor you can actually support this podcast financially which that's a little bit scary right like i mean we're good at what we do you heard you heard the intro ralph is you know it's interesting and all but i we're not really we know we're not that good okay so mom dad you don't have to like you know donate fifty dollars to make me feel good about pursuing my dreams here as as this sports podcaster it's fine okay um but if you do feel so compelled to do that we are we're we are trying to work towards like i don't know giving out some some crazy Cedar Skier memorabilia based on donations. Of course, the donations for the Cedar Skier Sports Podcast will definitely be used for a cross-country ski-related uh, purpose. You know, I, we have values. Things are important. I get it. I mean, I just, I spent about 80 bucks on Amazon the other day buying some books on church history. Okay, I know what's important, but let's face it. If you're going to donate to my show and it's called Cedar Skier, like we will use it for traveling, for illegal uh, HF waxes, um, to replace broken poles, uh, that doesn't happen a lot because we're a U.S. ski pole company. You know, like those poles are so insanely tough. The only way I actually broke one was when I was pretty much trying to do it on purpose uh, last winter. I was so angry because the trails hadn't been groomed. We got a bunch of snow, and I was going outside in a day. I never should have been skiing, and I I got a bunch of sticky snow stuck in my boot, and I was kind of doing the whack thing to get the the snow out of my my clips. And I mean, I I just. <laughs> I wound up like Nelson Cruz. Oh, wait. Uh, never mind. It's too soon. I, I wound up like uh, Jose Altuve and just clocked it out of the park, uh, basically, and shattered my pole. So that's the only way you break the U.S. ski pole company poles. Where where are we going here? Sorry for the, oh, the, the long intro. I guess I'm waiting for Ralph to send me those numbers that we talked about uh, with how abysmal it is to be a Minnesota sports fan. Can we Can we pull those up? Okay, you got them. Okay, so here they are. So this, if you want to hear the whole rant on this, where I cut open a vein, it, it's on our WordPress too. It's from the last show where we talked about uh, some of these stats. But just to remind you, and and this was pre 
Twins losing and getting swept again. So now it's even worse. The Twins going into this series had lost, you know, 16 games in a row and they were 6 and 26 in my lifetime in the playoffs. So now they're 6 and 28, you know, and it has been since did they say 2003 or 2004 since our last win? It's been a long time now. Okay, so let's just quick run through this here, the Minnesota, uh, some of the big ones. So I had already mentioned those big games and total playoff wins, right? We had 59 total playoff wins. We're 0-7 in big game qualifying appearances. So we have zero big game appearances, right? Uh, That's my lifetime. Now, if I'd grown up in Massachusetts and I was a New England Patriots fan, cheered for the Celtics, cheered for the Red Sox, uh, cheered for the Bruins, okay, those four teams, here's the equivalent here. This is kind of crazy. The Patriots almost alone outdo all those numbers because they've actually been to 14 big game qualifying appearances. So the Patriots alone have been to twice as many as all four of our teams. They've uh, won 10 of them. So they've been to 10 championship games. Patriots alone have been to three more championship games than we have been to big games qualifying. Okay. So Patriots, 14 total AFC title game appearances in my lifetime. They have won six Super Bowls. Okay. Celtics, they have been to the conference finals seven times. Remember the Wolves have only been there once. They've been to the NBA finals twice. They've won one of those. So they've won 23 Oh, I'm sorry. They've won 122 playoff games. Remember our total for our Minnesota, all four, 59. Okay, Celtics alone, 122. Patriots alone, 33. Patriots are 33 and 16 in the playoffs in my lifetime. Just to compare that to the, the Vikings, if you're like, well, does that mean anything? Like how, 33 and 16, how many games is that? The Vikings have, they're 8 and 15. Okay, so a lot, lot less playoff uh, games and a lot worse record, a lot worse record. Going into the Red Sox, of course, they had the curse of the Bambino, so everyone thought, oh, it's so terrible to be a Red Sox fan. Not really. Okay, in my lifetime, they've been to seven ALCSs. Remember, the Twins have been to one. Okay, so uh, seven of them. Uh, They've been to four World Series. They've won all of them. And those have actually come in the last 16 years. So they've been to one. Every four years, the Red Sox win a world championship. (laughs) Every four years. Every four years, they win one. Why did my sound just go off? Sad. Can we fix that? Okay, we're back. We fixed it. Yeah, so every four years they win. And actually, if you if you look at the Patriots, even just the Patriots alone, you know, with 14 AFC title games, that means every other year since I've been born, they have gone to an AFC title game. And and really, it's been since 01. So the last 19 years, they've been a 13. And the, the, the last 19 years, the Patriots have been to 13 AFC title games. That's almost, you could almost plan that like an anniversary you know, that's just crazy. So now the, the, the numbers, oh, by the way, sorry, I don't know, hockey, whatever, right? The Bruins, they've only won one Stanley Cup and they lost two others. So they've been to three Stanley Cups. That's all happened in the last um, nine years. So if we are talking about comparison, right? Total playoff wins, Pats, 33. Celtics, 122. Red Sox, 62. Bruins, 124. Their total wins is 341 playoff game victories to 59 in my lifetime. They have been to 33 championship qualifying games or series. 33 years they've gone to the game to get to the big game. 33 times. We've had seven. Uh, they've been to the championship game in their sport 19 times. We've had zero, 19 times, almost every year or every, uh, it's more than every other year, right? It's more than every year. This is good data, All right? Good data. So anyway, that's, uh, that was uh, just a quick recap from some of the things we talked about the last show. The big news, obviously, the story uh, from yesterday, the Twins, they lost, uh, swept 0-2. We have a quick little 
uh, column showed up today by Jim Suhan in the Star Tribune, and he's talking about uh, what can they do to get better. So let's 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 talk about what, what does he think. We're not going to spend that much time. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hear. I don't care about the twins. Don't worry. We'll we'll run through this really quick. Basically. What he said is uh, the Twins might have everything they need to get better, just it w- exists within the team, so they don't really have to go out and sign a flashy person. This, how ironic, right? The people who, if you haven't noticed or if you, if you haven't been paying attention or you just don't know this, the Twins, um, they, they don't like spending money, right? They, they never have since the poll ads have owned the team. They've done what needs to be done to make money as a business, which that's their choice. And they've been very successful at that. The Twins, the value of the franchise has increased an incredible amount since they bought it. Um, And they get the new stadium. They kind of fleeced us with that a little bit because they were like, oh, we're never going to be able to, you know, have a big league program. You know, we're not going to be able to compete with the Yankees if we don't have a new stadium. And what they did is they made us pay for the stadium, which made them a ton of money. And then they never went out and bought players to compete with the Yankees. And that's why we've gotten swept by the Yankees. We've lost 15 straight playoff games to the Yankees. Um, so anyway, the, the poll ads don't like spending money on big name prospects. And in fact, we've had several examples that you could go through in our twins in the last 30 years where we've had a player come up through our system or play well for us. And then when it comes time to re-sign, they have decided not to do that. Uh, Morris, the, the, the world series hero 91, they, they just flat out told him, look, we got to sign Kirby. We don't want to spend a ton of money on two stars. So Kirby's getting the money. So, and obviously that's, Kirby's a great player, but that was clearly uh, a profit margin based decision, right? If you sign Kirby, um, fans, Kirby's the fan favorite, right? Morris, Morris is a critical component, but expendable from a uh, bottom line margin to them. So they signed Kirby and let Morris go. Morris went to the Blue Jays and won another World Series. So good on him. Then uh, we had this happen again in 2006. Johan Santana was a two-time Cy Young Award winner. And 06 was really the year we probably had the best shot at going to the World Series. Um, but they decided to not bolster their lineup. They decided to not go and sign another arm when Liriano kind of went down. And uh, Johan kind of made this statement like, hey, look, um, management doesn't really want to spend spend money. Uh, they're kind of looking for the future. And guess what? Some Some people might not be there in that future, if that's what they're going to do, you know, kind of said, if, if you're not going to care about the team and really what with the players you have care about the team here right now, people, people might end up leaving. Uh, Tory Hunter left to the angels right around that time. And this just happened all the time. Mauer, Joe Mauer was the one guy they were again forced to sign kind of like Kirby situation, right? He's such a key fan favorite, homegrown, Minnesota grown, uh, rookie of the year, batting champ. He's just kind of the, the guy. And so they had to give him the huge contract. And that really did, that really killed us. Cause I mean, um, then, then from a poll ad, uh, based line of here's how much money we can spend. It was all being spent on Mauer who did not produce well at all ever, 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 uh, right after he got that contract. So we could have signed more people. They just didn't want to, right? There's no salary cap in baseball. So when I say all our money was being spent up, it really wasn't, but they just didn't want to spend it. Okay. So we've had all these examples of twins not wanting to go out and spend money. So I, I do find it kind of ironic that again, this is like the common drone of some twins fans are like, come on, you know, sign, throw us a bone here, right? Go out and get Verlander, go out and get a big guy. 
um, a big time pitcher at least uh, give us a chance. We've got the bats right now. You know, the as uh, the common man says, the the stars are aligned, right? Venus and Mars and Jupiter and the whole bit of this is our chance to go. That was last year for sure, and and they didn't they didn't go out and sign a big name pitcher. And in fact, I think the uh, the Nationals did. They went out and signed. A guy to to they had two aces Scherzer and someone else can't remember. oh Scherzer and Strasburg and anyway they just you know it was like who's going to ever be able to beat that team that's kind of what you need to do at the come playoff time bolster up your bullpen or or find another superstar starting pitcher and that's just it's not even that complicated right to be a successful baseball team but Twins kind of refuse Suhan basically kind of gives this you know, hey, everyone, everyone is already on the team that's going to help us all these long term. And he goes off to list some of these people and no one's ever heard of them. Right. Uh, Brent Rooker. Who is that? Right. The only guy probably that 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 you might recognize is Royce Lewis. <laughs> Where's the crickets chirp sound? Right. Uh, now, Royce Lewis was like our number one overall pick. And so he's this huge stud, right? But but it seems like ever since we've drafted him, his his stock has gone down. He's yet to play in the majors. It's like, bring him up if he's such a superstar then, right? Like, what are we waiting around for? So I kind of predict that Royce Lewis will maybe do, like, absolutely nothing in his career for the Twins. You know, he, he might be one of those guys who, 28 years old, gets some chance with another franchise, blows up. and He won't be with us, though, when he's good. There's just no way. So anyway, this this article, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really disagree with it. I mean... Yeah, maybe the solution isn't to go out and sign a flashy free agent, but I think the solution would be to spend a ton of money on a really good pitcher because clearly the Twins don't have really good pitching. Let let the bats develop. If that's the way you want to do it in the offensive end, fine, but we need to make like a really aggressive attack, I think, at, at pitching. All right, so that's our first story that we had uh, for today. Coming up next, we got the NBA Finals, who we like and why. Let's get through this really quick because I talked about this before. Uh, Jimmy Buckets, right, playing for the Heat. Game one is done, and it's looking abysmal. Basically what happened is um, uh, that was a lot of words. It didn't make much sense. Uh, We love the Heat. Okay, we love the Heat because we love Butler as a player. And if you don't know, you should uh, – what you, what you, what you got to know is Butler is the hard-nosed. He plays both ends of the floor, defense and offense. He brings a culture of winning, a culture of toughness. And when he was here in Minnesota for one year, um, he was kind of – this was two years ago – seen as this player who um, was abrasive. And all of our young guys didn't get along with, with him. And it seemed like a, he was being portrayed as a cancer in the locker room. Well, now we've come to realize that our young guys really just cared about playing Fortnite, didn't want to play defense. They just didn't really care about winning, right? They're getting their big paychecks, and and it's just not that big a deal for them. And Butler is, he's 30. He's worked for every scrap he's gotten. He wasn't even an All-American at Marquette, drafted 30th overall to the Bulls. You know, he sat, he was at the bottom of the bench, the bottom of the roster when he was drafted, and, and literally scrapped his way four years later. He was the guy, the number one guy. And I think he led the Bulls to 60 wins one year too. So he is the the model athlete in terms of like, look what can be done when you care about the right things, when you are tough and you want to win. Like he is just the model guy for culture. And we, for a while, again, when all those stories came out with the walls, it seemed like we couldn't say that because here was a cancer. He went to Philadelphia and they kind of, you know, they got rid of him after one year too. It's like the heat was his third stop in four years. And what's the deal? What's the problem? Well, uh, at the heat, their, their head coach basically said, Hey, Jimmy Butler doesn't have anything to apologize 
apologize for, right? He's a guy, we love him. We love what he brings. He elevates the game for everyone on this team. And he is a winner. Just the bottom line. He affects winning more than any other player that, that I've seen in a long time. So I'm behind Butler. They're a fifth seed. They're going up against the Lakers, who are literally the Yankees of the, you know, 90s, the 50s, 60s, right? They just, they got LeBron. It, it's the team you, you either, if you live in LA, I guess, or you're a LeBron loyal you cheer for them, but everyone else should hate them. And, and it's kind of fun. I like it. Like having a team that's so dominant, like you, you kind of, you, you want to gang up on them. So that's where you should be is you should be cheering for the heat. Okay. But the problem is in game one, a bunch of their players got injured. So Butler rolled his ankle, bam, 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 to go, whatever their defensive guy, he, he rolled his ankle or did something and Goran Dragic got hurt too. So basically it looks hopeless. Uh, looks like LeBron is going to be coronated to a fanless fanlessness NBA title He'll, the the streamers will be coming down on an, on a court with no no people to watch it'll be it'll be great okay bigger news sunday we have the london marathon and in a, in a podcast coming up here, we're going to talk about the state of running with uh, Dr. Eric Hansen. He's going to be coming onto the program in a few days to discuss all things running, uh, pr- professional level, college level, high school level, uh, personal level. Okay, so it's going to be great. It's kind of part of our cross-country collections uh, series, and um, I'm looking forward to that. So he'll probably have a few things to say on the, the manner of the London Marathon. Why is this news? Why are we bringing it up? Why do you need to know? Why do you care? Well, basically... This first of all, it's the only event that's happened in about the last seven months. Okay, the, uh, in terms of running and track and field, oh, that's wrong. They've had diamond league meets. Okay, um, a lot of Americans haven't been there. Some have, uh, but there have been some track and field. There, obviously, there's been no major road races because of COVID. So this is kind of a return to that. I think though, London is not having. Are they having? It's not like the mass. You know, everyone's going to be there. They're having an elite field. They're doing everything really careful. Um, and the fact that it's not a mass race doesn't really affect us, right? We're not flying over to London to run, so most of you aren't. All we cared about was Kipchoge versus Bekele, okay? Kipchoge v. Bekele. And this is the showdown of the century. Um, and when we found out they were going to race each other back in the winter, it really seemed like the showdown of the century. And here's why. First of all, you got Bekele, okay? And in 03, from about 2003 to 2008, Bekele was the Mofara. He was the 5K, 10K double at everything every year, right? 5K, 10K double at Worlds, 5K, 10K double at the Olympics. I I think he did that a couple of times. And in addition to that, he set the world record in the 5K and in the 10K. And both of those records stood for Ever. In fact, the 5K just went down by Joseph uh, Cheptegei, and it was huge news because it was no one had come within 15 seconds of it. And the 10K is still very untouchable. 2617, no one has sniffed at it. Okay, so although I do think Cheptegei will go after it now. He, 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 I mean, with no competitions, he has been given the gift of like, the, you know, let's just go for a record. And that does make a difference, um, you know, and, and I think Bekele, who, who really knows how fast he could have run. He ran a, a 26, I want to say like a 26-20 at pre in May of one, one of those years. And it's one of those just like really bad weather for 10K running. And he ran by, his, by himself and it was at the beginning of the season. Um, so, so I do kind of actually side with Bekele. Like he, he might have been on the run 26 flat. Um, and if Cheptegei gets close to that, I think it's an argument worth having. But the bottom line is, is Bekele was the, the king of the track. And it was, it was, the debate was, is Bekele the greatest runner of all time? And then he went to, uh, he debuted in the marathon. And, and I think, 
Uh, his debut was was decent, twenty three or two oh three. You know, was it was sniffing at the world record. It was kind of like, well, if he gets the world record in the marathon, he's got the marathon, the ten k, the five k. He is undisputed the greatest. Well, then he kind of right after that debut, he slipped into this DNFing all his marathon attempts, and he wasn't dedicated in his training and and just being kind of lazy in, in other these aspects, and and it showed in his performance. So he he like I said, he was DNFing, he wasn't having good performances at all. It's kind of fallen off the map. Like the conversation, this is all around what, 2013, 14, 15. It was, it was like, well, Bekele's kind of done. You know, he's, he can never be healthy. He's got great talent, but he clearly has the engine for the marathon, but he's never going to complete it like front to back. He's not consistent. And as this is happening, the king of consistency is emerging, and that's Iliad Kipchoge. Kipchoge started out on the track in 2003 he won the world championship in the 5k but he never won any olympic title in on a in a track event he was kind of clearly bred for the marathon um and i say that carefully because kipchoge also has run a 328 1500 he clearly has good speed I, but i think the the thing that runners have realized is he's kind of a biomechanic um anomaly he is very efficient and very fast uh, and it works for long distances. He, he probably could have won, run a very fast 5K and 10K, and his PRs are not something to sniff at. I want to say, you know, 1240 something for 5K. Um, but but anyway, he shifted to the roads because the Kenyan uh, national team, they left him off the national team for, for an Olympics. Uh, this was 08 or 2012 or something or earlier on. So he's like, well, I guess I'm just going to go make money running marathons. And he's run 14 marathons in that time. He's won 13 of them. Okay, and the only one he lost was to Wilson Kipsang, and in that race, Kipsang set a world record. Kipchoge got second, um, and Kipsang now has been busted for doping. So really, Kipchoge is maybe a perfect four, fourteen for fourteen if you feel good that way. He did win the 2016 Olympic gold medal, and of course, he's been the topic of worldwide notoriety because of his sub two hour attempts. And he had one that got really close, two hours twenty five minute, two hours and twenty five seconds. And then this last time he broke it. He broke one one fifty nine. Okay, so Kipchoge is going along. He's he is he is the beacon of consistency, monastic lifestyle and training. He he leaves his family. He goes to his little training camp. He's by himself. He just runs, sleeps, runs twice a day, every day. His training's crazy, right? He's never hurt. It's just it's incredible what he's been able to do. Uh, and every every marathon he shows up at, he dominates. And it's always the major ones. It's London. It's Berlin. It's all these big ones. The only one he hasn't done is Boston. Uh, he should do that just so he can <laughs> say he's won all of them. Um, and and the only thing left on the resume for Kipchoge was an official world record because he had gone 159, but it wasn't a, a legal race. So it was a last year or, or he went to Berlin, runs 201. No, this is two years ago. Yeah, runs 201, obliterates the world record in a real race. And now we're like, all right, Kipchoge is the king of the marathon. Um, and Bekele is not even in the conversation. No one's even thinking about him anymore, right? But then Bekele, last year, he enters into a marathon and runs 201 as well. And he's three, three seconds off, three or four seconds off of Kipchoge's record in a race. 
And this kind of comes out of nowhere, right? We thought Bekele was done. Now he's clearly back. And so the hype of Bekele versus Kipchoge is completely reignited. And so the runner fan in us in this race, we really want to see Bekele in top form. We know what we're going to get out of Kipchoge. So what we don't know is, is Bekele going to run 10 miles and then fall off the pace and then drop out before the half, right? That is kind of the the thing we really don't want to see. We want to see Bekele and Kipchoge throwing haymakers at each other all race long. We want to see um, them pushing the world record, right? And and really for me, I would love to see Bekele win this race, not because I like Bekele more, but because I want to see Kipchoge kind of have a new sense of hunger. Um, he kind of has gotten everything he's wanted in the sport and out of the sport. So I do think this is the sport is benefited by Kipchoge losing this race in a very fast race. If Bekele goes out and takes the world record, steals it from Kipchoge and wins, there will be new conversation about who the, the real king is. Okay, so that's that's what I would like to see. Um, but the topic of conversation, I think, that is good sports talk radio uh, talk a uh, talker right now is looking at, at, at Kipchoge, looking at Kipchoge, and um, in terms of drug usage, and and I want to pose this question: Is Iliad Kipchoge the the modern day Lance Armstrong? Right? Are we being fleeced kind of in the same way that Lance fleeced us back in the early two thousands? Um, and I think, I think it's possible, honestly, there's some similarities and there's some differences between these two. So the similarities, first of all, clear dominance, Kipchoge 13 of 14, he has won every major, he's won the world records. He, um, he has dominated in a way that is completely unprecedented, very similar to Lance's seven straight tours. Okay. Um, also I would say insane, uh, well, unprecedented performance, Right, Kipchoge first came with his idea of the two-hour barrier, and everyone's like, "That is, that's not possible." The world record is two hundred three. I don't care what kind of conditions you get; you can't go sub two. Um, very few people thought that. Way. And Kipchoge, when he ran two hours and twenty-five, like I thought, it's like, "Oh, that's the limit, right?" Like, there's no way he's going under. And then he runs one fifty-nine forty or whatever, and he's like celebrating across the line, you know, after running four thirty-four mile pace for twenty-six miles, and you're just kind of like. Something's not right, right? This can't even be humanly possible. Very similar way to Lance, okay? A lot of the moves Lance made in the Tour de France on some key stages, um, uphill stages, right? Some of those things he was doing just seeming to be not humanly possible. I think that's, that is a, another one, okay? Um, also, their training, their toughness, right? Uh, they're both definitely respectable in that regard. Like, I I do respect Armstrong even today because regardless of the fact that he was on drugs, the things he was doing and, um, and was still remarkable. And and in cycling, I think you can especially still say that because again, everyone was doping. And and I'm reading a book right now the the one that Tyler Hamilton wrote, kind of his memoir in 2013 that really exposed. He he, he tells everything right and. And even Hamilton's talking about in the early 90s, kind of his when he first was a, a super young member of the Pro Tour, he's talking about how some of the experienced guys, the guys who were raised in the, in the 80s and early 90s when they were at their peak, they, they would say like, hey, yeah, we were doing the, we, we, the way we trained then, okay, we stayed the same. All my metrics, all my, all my performance metrics that are measuring like how good I'm at, what kind of condition, fitness I'm at, they're all the same as they were when I was in peak form. In fact, some of them are, are better. 
you know, but now I'm in a race and um, there's guys who are like machine like pulling away and, and it's not humanly possible. I don't understand what's happening. And, and and that was like the transition where the entire Peloton sort of all decided to go to use EPO. And it, it was, you know, and it was it wasn't even like they were kind of curious about that. It's like they, they all just kind of knew like and, and EPO provided such an insane performance uh, benefit for cyclists versus some of the previous uh, performance enhancing drugs and methods that existed all the way back in the, the 20s, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s. EPO was such a revolutionary thing that it, it changed the game and it changed it right around that early 90s. And so some of those older veterans we kind of fell in love with, they sort of retired. They're like, well, my choice is to dope or um, walk away. And well, luckily for them, you know, they were at the stage 34 or 35 years old where I was like, I'll just walk away. Like, that's fine. You know, but <laughs> Hamilton and Armstrong were raised in that. So the fact to me that everyone is doping, I think is a huge thing in terms of me respecting Armstrong as an athlete. Like I, I obviously do not condone doping. I don't, I don't respect his decisions at all, but it doesn't make me think less of him athletically because everyone's on the same playing field. So his training, his toughness, his victories are, are incredibly substantial till still. And um, so that, that's kind of like one of those similarities. I, I think we, you definitely can say Kipchoge, he's got that monastic approach, right? Of uh, uh, he, he is biomechanically incredible, but, but even the gifts he has as an athlete, like he, he, they are matched with his, the controllable things that we all could be doing. The, um, the sacrifices he's made for the sport of running and the consistency in his training and the intensity of his training, right? It, it's incredible. Okay. So that, that they're both equal there. The third thing is the technology and the team support, right? We have Kipchoge. Now he is the, the face of the new shoes that you see that people are wondering, is that really the reason he's doing great? Right. He's the face of that. Uh, Lance Armstrong, um, he was, he is groundbreaking in, in his methods, probably of, of <laughs> avoiding drug tests, positive drug tests, but also, you know, the, the carbon uh, bikes, like that was sort of right around that time when you were seeing equipment change dramatically. And all I have to do is read a book or two and look at the pictures and you see like what Lance kind of started on and what he was finishing on. And now where we're at today, like he was kind of at the bridge of that a little bit. And maybe it's a stretch, maybe not. Um, the, the idea of team support, I don't think that is a stretch. Uh, Kipchoge, he, um, even though he's, it's, it's very much a solo sport and running, not at all like cycling where you're really truly relying on the ability of some of your team members that that doesn't really exist in running, but, um, the team support for Kipchoge is very critical. And you see this, if you, you, you hear when you follow his camp, um, on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, like he's always posting videos of him doing his repeat workouts, his long runs, everything, you know, in a huge train, you know, of athletes. And, and that's true. Like the, the Kenyan, um, culture there, where it's like, it's, it's a little bit like Adam state on steroids, right? Well, it is, it's, you know, everyone knows at 6 a.m. that this group is meeting here at this broken branch tree or at this fence post on this road for a long run. So people just show up, everyone from the amateurs to the official training groups, to the former pros, to the pros, to the pro wannabes, they're all kind of there. So um, Kipchoge relies on his team support in a lot of ways. And, and ever since the sub two attempts, he's got more like official team support too. Um, financially, he, he's very well off. He's very taken care of. He's got, he's got a lot of things really helping him. And, and it's, it's gotten to be more and more that way, the center, right? All this money, all this attention, all this support in every aspect, all for one guy and one mission. And that's very Lance Armstrong like, 
very very Lance Armstrong like hot takes here on the Cedar Skier Sports Show, uh, and then the last similarity I think is this transcendent personality. Okay, so obviously Armstrong, the, the overcoming cancer thing, right? That's where we all focused in. He he overcame this battle, and he's and people thought he wouldn't even live, and here he is two years later winning the hardest race on earth. You know, it was unbelievable and inspirational, and you had the Livestrong bracelets. You got all these things that are like coming together and that's really what made armstrong not only wealthy but but a a, a famous figure and a a source of inspiration okay um all those things that he represented we go on and on and and that's what made you know everything so depressing when it finally fell through you know because we kind of lost that like that was a huge thing that was impacting everyone and now it was gone and it was and it was an empty thing like wow i guess i can't really believe in that I, i don't even know what i can believe in and um, Kipchoge right now is a transcendent personality for mostly for the runner. You know, um, we all look to Kipchoge again, um, not only for his immense talent, but the things he controls that we could also be controlling, uh, dedication, right. Um, sleeping, eating, nutrition, uh, training, uh, systematic approach to all those things. Patience, right. Kipchoge's career has been, uh, a patience and a consistency, all those things that as a runner, we, we, um, they're, they're hard for us to admit that that's, that's a huge, uh, reason for performance, a huge impact. And Kipchoge just is the model runner. He is the model runner in that way. And he's all, he is the model runner in, in the actual way he runs too. You know, we see his, all those things carry out in his performance. He is confident um, because he is confident from his training. He's con- it's a gradually built confidence. So mentally he's confident. Mentally he is tough. And he tr- he trusts the process. He trusts his training. He trusts his ability. And it shows. And and it's it's led to consistent performance. So he's the model athlete for runners. And he's a transcendent personality for runners. But I also think the whole sub two thing has made him a transcendent personality for all humans. And uh, kind of like thinking about what you once thought was impossible is now possible. He's kind of the Roger Bannister of this age. Uh, I'm sure Bannister was, you know, inspiring people from other professions. Maybe he was. I, I You know, in the 50s, that, that, that stuff just it's, – it's a little bit of the walking on the moon thing, right? Like we see him, he's a bigger than life personality. Yeah, he just is. And um, and I think you see that now too in the way he talks in press conferences. Like part of the thing that made Kipchoge endearing to me was actually he was kind of just quiet. You know, he, he didn't say much at all. Now, he, now it's like every time Kipchoge speaks, it's like he's Gandhi, right? It's like he thinks that. Like he says things that are super like philanthropic almost. Uh, where's the quote that, well, let's run.com has a story on him to kind of like talking about coronavirus and saying something along the lines of like, Americans, you know, you need to keep your hope, keep your positivity and, and you can make America great again. You can overcome coronavirus. Right. And after his, he, he did the sub two thing, he had similar quotes like that, like, this is a win for humanity and the world. And it's like, well, yeah, I get the imagery there, but you know, I, I don't know. Like, that the the hum you, you got to wonder like how humble he is now at this point like is he really is he's starting to feel like he's the center he is the figure for setting goals and overcoming the impossible you know like and it's almost like he's starting to buy that uh kind of like armstrong bought you know that he is the face of overcoming cancer 
So I think we got, you know, we got the, all these similarities between these two guys. It, uh, there are some differences. You know, I think we could argue that maybe Kipchoge is not as wealthy. There's not quite as much at stake. He is very wealthy, though, for a runner. Uh, just like Armstrong was very wealthy compared compared to other cyclists. You know, cycling is kind of one of those sports where um, <clears throat> the Lance Armstrongs that are, are worth you know, tens and millions and now even hundreds of millions of dollars are riding in the peloton alongside people who try to break through, who might be on a 40000 a year salary, you know, really scraping by. They, they don't even have a guarantee beyond the next five months. That's a reality that exists. And that's similar to running, too. You know, Kipchoge, um, and now, obviously, he's, he's lining up in marathons, so there's people of all different... Uh, pay scales but even you know on the track you, you might see even the guys who who we we see as stars a lot of them aren't making more than like a, a fourth grade teacher you know and so and kipchoge is definitely wealthy in, in compared to other runners that i i could say maybe a, uh somewhat different well he's got huge sponsorship sponsorships too you know um so they are they actually that might be a, a similarity as well um uh are they winning as big of events you know Kipchoge is winning the biggest events in his sport, and that's the same with Armstrong. You know, the Tour de France is the biggest event in his sport. To win the London, Berlin uh, marathons, the, uh, the Olympic marathon, that's the biggest, that's the pinnacle of what you can do as a marathon runner. So I would say that's also a similarity, but the difference is the Tour is is just a bigger global event, period. If you're a Tour de France champion, you're more, that's a bigger event than, um, then even probably the the Olympic marathon, you know, it, it's it's just so famous. Uh, and, and if you disagree with me, you probably just haven't read enough about how how big of a deal the Tour de France is on an international stage. And I get that, you know, in America we're a little bit in a shield. It's kind of like Americans who say like the World Cup isn't that big of a deal, and and really it is, but just not as much to us. So that's a, that's another thing. Um, but here's the thing that I, the the one thing that's kind of the the biggest, I don't know. Uh, problem in my argument that, I, that I'm, I'm thinking of is I, there hasn't been any accusations. So when Lance started winning, and this might be because honestly, the Tour de France is so internationally uh, such a big deal. And, and it's kind of the one thing that Americans, you know, in sports, like they don't have a stake in. So when this bold Texan comes in and, and really um, kind of beats up the tradition and he's just like an affront to tradition and affront to like what has been the, the tours kind of MO and he starts winning. I think a lot of people were offended by that. They did not like it. They didn't like that Lance was dominating and, and, and every person who wins a tour de France comes under doping allegations ever since about 1996. Um, so that was just kind of an automatic anyway, but the fact that he was an American made it even worse and I think that's what made us kind of go as Americans. We're like, nah, man, this is our guy. You know, like he's, he's, he's clean. He's cleared every test, all these allegations, like they've been proven false. You can't, you can't, you're just upset that we have an American finally coming into cycling and winning. And that's never happened. Um, so I, I think it is, uh, that's a huge difference. Kipchoge, we, there's, that's not the talk in the news. Like is Kipchoge doping, right? We, I, I don't, the, the conversation is always like, how much do the shoes help? That's kind of the one thing people are in something like a mechanical doping. Um, so I don't really know why that is. And to me, it seems like why wouldn't people be all over him? Um, and especially as doping has just ramped up in general, uh, the fact that people are caring about that and they, they want a clean sport. You were seeing that in cycling and skiing and in running like and, and people are getting caught, you know, Absol Kiprop. Uh, the the Kenyan champion in the fifteen hundred, Kip saying, you know, he he's kind of seemed like this 
can't do anything wrong, super quiet, timid guy who just kind of did every, did, you know, there's no way he could be a doper. Now he is. Um, and, and over in Kenya, they don't have like quite the same look, uh, or the, not look, the same, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, intensity, I guess, in terms of regulating doping. That's kind of a well-known thing in the running community is, well, if if in your training stage you want to go dope and train and dope, right? Because that's when doping's happening. It's to enhance the training. It's not just like the night before the race they do something. Uh, it's a long term thing. And they go to Kenya. They go to they go to these places that are desolate and remote, and and people aren't aren't able to track that. So I, I think a lot of those things work against Kipchoge in terms of trusting. Well, are you are you clean? How would we ever know? You know, um, so I think it, that's a big difference is it hasn't really been pressed upon him and I'm not sure why and maybe it should more. Um, but now with running, it's becoming more like cycling where, well, it kind of seems like everyone's doping. So if Kipchoge is caught, you know, can't you just make the same argument you made with Lance? You know, what, what's the big deal? Um, and I would say two things. One, doping is not as prevalent in running as cycling. It's not even close. Now, if that's proven to be the case, I think, I think it could get there, but I think you're still like 10 years away from it, you know? Um, but if that was proven to be the case, and then I would kind of argue the same, make the same argument. Well, yeah, if Kipchoge, his dominance, like that's not taken away. I, I don't like the more from a moral standpoint, disagree with the decision, but I still have mad respect for what he did. Cause you know, other people could have done it too. They were all doping. So uh, maybe there's that. Uh, and then, uh, let's see. Uh, the other thing I was going to say in terms of differences, no accusation. That's weird. Uh, alone. He is, he does, I guess I kind of touched on that. You know, they're not really alone. They have the, the training group. So anyway, we don't really know what's going on. He's over there in Kenya for 11 months of the year, right? Like uh, the bottom line is I want to believe in Kipchoge, but then again, isn't that how we felt about Lance Armstrong? right? Um, we wanted to believe in him. When the accusations were coming, we weren't like, well, yeah, I'd really like to believe that he was a doper. Like we liked Lance. We liked his intensity. We liked what he represented. He was a bull over there and he was representing us. He was bold. He was, you know, it was kind of fun to have this American that we could get behind. And then of course, with the cancer thing, like that was a, such an awesome story. Uh, we, we, we really wanted to get behind. So like Kipchoge, it's kind of the same thing. I, I like the guy. I like kind of how he is. Like, I like how he's the model runner in terms of training and approach to everything mentally it's all there right he, he is kind of like the buddha of running uh, <laughs> so we don't want that but the fact is um you know it's possible so here's um let's see i was gonna read a quote from the article on let's run just kind of to give you a, here's your last thought on the Berlin Marathon. But I think I think we we could bring this up again on another show, do some more predictions. So we can move on, actually. We haven't even touched on, you know, the rest of the people in in the race. What about the women's race? These are these are big races. Both men and women's full marathons would be good. So there's more to more to talk about about there. But we're we're coming close to the end of our show. So we got we gotta get to some other things too. Um which Maybe we should just stay on running. I was going to bring up a story I saw on ESPN. Uh, this is about Adrian Peterson. We can, we can move away from running for a little bit. Let's. Uh, so basically, Adrian, he left the Vikings, and I think in what year was that when we finally did? Was it 2016? I mean, he had like a 10 year career here, but by the end, it was pretty evident that like he's kind of he's not the same Adrian that we saw, you know, and that's going to happen to all running backs. Now, 
what we what we also saw if you were really astute observer is Adrian may, maybe wasn't doing the things on the football field he had always done, but like in terms of his physical fitness, he was posting these workouts and videos that were insane. And then you you heard feedback like these twenty four year olds, these twenty three year olds, first second year NFL players, they were they were trying to train with Adrian and they couldn't keep up with him. And Adrian was even saying like I, I'm still doing things physically, I'm improving in some of these areas, and I'm doing the same things I was when I first entered the league. And that I I kind of do believe. You just look at it right, like he is a specimen still, and he's still very fast, right? And and actually, I think maybe his downside was he almost got too strong up top. And, and that kind of was hurting some of his agility and his his shiftiness, which was critical, like for running back performance. But like from a physical standpoint, he's I think he is still like getting stronger, getting faster and all, all those 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 things. I don't think that's actually gone. Uh, I don't think he is as good of a running back, but I think it's like it, it's not because he's he's going backwards physically. It might almost be because he because he's going forward physically. Like I said, his body type has kind of changed a little bit uh, in terms of like where where his muscle is. Clearly, though, he's still got a lot of uh, he can he can just kind of like force his way to good numbers. He did that in Washington. They didn't even give him the ball all that much. And and he he had some significant yardage, you know, and so Washington's a terrible team and a terrible place, with terrible fans, terrible stadium and terrible everything, you know, right. But um, they decided to send him to Detroit, which is also actually a, a terrible team and a terrible city with terrible fans and terrible cheerleaders. And um, he's there. And now. <laughs> he's going to be their starter. Like it, the headline is Detroit Lions likely to roll with veteran Adrian Peterson as lead running back. This, this kind of like, I don't, I'm like excited about this kind of, you know, I, it's not that I want Adrian on our team, but I'm sort of thrilled that it's sort of this positive. I, he was kind of our Randy Moss of the 07, 15, right? Like he was a player that you honed in on because you were waiting to see the crazy play. You were waiting to see him do something that was just kind of unhuman, right? And just shock you. And then you also kind of wanted him to be the best in the league, in the world. Like when Moss was playing, I kind of cared if Moss had a good game, even if we lost, it was like the, the, the inner victory is like, well, at least Moss still had a hundred yards. At least Moss got three touchdowns. Cause I just felt for him. Like he's such a unique specimen. He deserves to be recognized as the greatest of all time. And he's ours. And, um, and Moss, it, that's what made it so frustrating. Cause it's like, he should have had 28 touchdowns every year. We just had such awful, you know, people around him and, and play calling and everything. And then teams were just ganging up on him, you know, changing defenses. And, Adrian, I guess, was a little bit that way. Like, I wanted to see Adrian have a 2,500-yard season on the ground. Like, it would have been sweet. Even if we would have gotten 3-13, and 13, I would have totally taken that for Adrian, putting up huge numbers. So it's kind of exciting to me that he's still relevant, especially when people around here, you know, are kind of like, oh, it's a good riddance, right? And and they, they really got down on him for the accusations with the um, the the child abuse uh, stuff that kind of came out and, you know, some people are, are like really hard on, on one, one side or the other on that. So we're not going to dive into that, but I, I just kind of like in general, I think Adrian gets picked on for a lot of things like, and, and even if they're valid mistakes that we could go, yeah, that's wrong, Adrian. So it's like, I still am not for like saying, finishing that sentence by saying like, and you, so you deserve it, you know, like, um, we're all human. We're all, we all do things. So do you have press and the whole world coming up to you and saying, 
and pointing out all of your massive moral mistakes and shortcomings and sins? No. So is it fair that we all pile on Adrian? I, I just don't think so. You know, like, and, and the fact of the matter is, is if he's made really bad mistakes, he knows it and he regrets it. And the other thing with Adrian, you know, he's like, he has had that the joke is how many kids he has, right? And he's got all of these different kids with all these different women. And so he's got to pay, pay child support. And that's the reason he's in the league because he's going broke. You know, he's like, he's shelling on all this money. And it's like, whether it's true or not is, is like, I just feel bad for him, you know? So it is cool. I think that a 35 year old running back is like, Hey, he's going to be the starter. And more than that, the interesting thing with the lions is they've drafted rookie running backs that they've thought like, this is our guy. This is our guy. They've done that like two or three years in a row. Carry uh, on Johnson. Then this, I don't know who their, their guy they drafted in the second round, but it's like, wow, uh, I guess we'll go with the 35 year old journeyman. Right. And so far he's averaged 4.9 yards a carry 43 attempts for 209 yards. The rookie has carry on Johnson, 3.4 yards per attempt and swift 2.5. So, Oh, Adrian's proven like what he could do. Just, uh, I, I don't know his numbers offhand from his career. So I'm kind of trying to pull some of that stuff up just so I can see like what he, what he's actually done. Let's see. Shows his 2020. Um, let's see what do we got here? Yeah. So here we go. Last year was with Washington. Last year with Washington, 15 games, right? He played He played in 15 games, 211 carries, 898 yards, 4.3 yards carry, 5 TDs. Okay, so almost had 1,000 yards. The previous year, 2018, he did have 1,000 yards. He went over, <laughs> over 1,000 yards. You know, like that's his last year in Minnesota, by the way, was 2016. He spent a lot of it hurt. It looks like he only played three games. Yeah, the previous year, he went 1,400 yards. So he's a monster, right? And then he, 2016, he was hurt. 2017 was the went to New Orleans, went to Arizona, right? Some people thought he was still relevant, but that's when people started thinking he's washed up. Three yards of carry, you know, just doing nothing. Sort of went to Washington that, you know, the jokes were kind of being made, but then he runs for 1,000 yards. Now he's got 209 yards. He has 14,400 total career yards and 111 career touchdowns on the ground. Okay, so there's the Adrian look. We're going. I'm okay getting behind Adrian. It's. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, Vikings news because it's. You know, we, who wants to talk about the Vikings right now? Um, probably the the most cool Viking story from a Cedar Skier podcast standpoint was when I was listening to the live press conference a couple days ago and <laughs> Zimmer shut down his reporter his reporter from the Star Tribune or whatever. He asked him a question. And the the question was prefaced by the Vikings have let off uh, let up a hundred and some points. It's the most ever in Vikings history. And before he could get the word history out, Zimmer just shot some down. He says, Do you got a question? It was great. It's great. That that's my Vikings news. If you gotta find that, I don't know. I, it was the Common Man show, and you know they have to skip to the press conference, so that's what they went to. And I don't know at two o'clock a couple days ago. That's that's the Vikings news that we, we <laughs> I wanted to bring up. Uh, let's see oh, what do we got. I was I wanted to talk about uh, the the story NCAA track and field. Uh, they just changed that. I'm sorry, NCAA cross country. So the national meet getting moved. Uh, but but we're up we're up for our time today. So we gotta we gotta 
get out of here. Um, this is enough content for today. Thank you so much for joining us. So, so next time on the show, right, you should have to look forward to all this great stuff. Obviously, we're going to cover the news, the news for the next day, right, the sports stories. But we're also going to, for sure, we'll hit more London preview. We'll talk about NCAA cross country, what we think needs to happen there, what we would do if we were in those shoes. Um, and, uh, we're also going to talk some ski news too. Is there a dream job out there for the Cedar skier and, um, an article on that? Uh, yeah. So, and we can even get to the mailbag. If you got some questions that you want us to bring up on the next show, of course you can comment, you know, send us something. I don't Facebook, right? Like that's probably the most reliable way. It's easy. Anyone can comment on Facebook. We all know how to do that. So that, that'd be the thing I'd say if you are confused at how to reach out to us, whenever this gets posted on Facebook, shoot us a comment and we'll bring it up if there's a topic you want to touch on. So, uh, great joining us this afternoon. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us, do all that stuff or whatever, you, however you want to show your, uh, express your support for the Cedar Skier podcast. It's been great, uh, hanging out with you. Uh, have a good day. We'll see you next time. <laughs>